0: to episode 25, chapter 2 of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. I'm Chris Lambert. And I'm
1: Josh Havens. And we're on a journey to learn what it means to live a lifestyle of discipleship. We're glad you're joining us and hope that as you set aside this time for God, that
0: He will help you grow today in the everyday moments of life. Winfield Bevins is an author, artist, and speaker whose passion is to help others connect to the roots of the Christian faith for discipleship and mission. He is the Director of Church Planting at Asbury Theological Seminary, and he frequently speaks at conferences on a variety of topics and is a regular adjunct professor at several seminaries. Having grown up in a free church background, Winfield eventually found his spiritual home in the Anglican tradition, but freely draws from wisdom from all church traditions. Having authored several books, his writings explore the convergence of liturgy, prayer, and mission. His latest book, Ever Ancient, Ever New, examines young adults who have embraced Christian liturgy and how it has impacted their life. As an artist, Winfield is dedicated to connecting the church and the arts community. He is a visual artist who enjoys painting iconography, landscapes, and portraits. Over the past decade, he has helped start numerous arts initiatives, including a nonprofit art gallery and studio, and an Arts program in North Carolina. I have a tradition that I practice
1: every day. I brush my teeth. I don't always like doing it, but I do like the results. Cleaning our teeth is a tradition that's been around for thousands of years, and many cultures practiced it quite differently and with various tools for cleaning the teeth. But it has been around for a long time. Ancient Egyptians are said to have made crude toothbrushes from frayed twigs. Thankfully, I don't brush my teeth with a stick today. I have the benefit of thousands of years of learning to now brush my teeth as efficiently as it's ever been done in human history. And We in North America also tend to look at our growth as disciples of Christ very individualistically, thinking we have to figure out how to grow and that our growth is just so that we can become more like Christ. But this misses the connection we have to the body of Christ, both with us today and that came before us for the last 2,000 years. You don't have to figure out how to grow from square one, just like you don't have to learn the best way to clean your teeth all over again. Millions of believers have gone before you, figuring out how to grow, and the practices that have worked stuck around in the form of liturgies. Your growth today can find life and structure in those practices. That's not to say you have to practice everything exactly as it's been done for centuries on end. It simply means you have the benefit of knowing what works and what doesn't, because someone has already figured it out. You now have the privilege of growing in richer soil than Christians even 500 years ago did. And your daily growth today will provide the soil for disciples in the next generation. In this chapter, Winfield unpacks some of the ways liturgies can bring life to our growth, as well as some of the bad liturgies that we should probably avoid.
2: Why did you write this book? What led you to it? Yeah, I think, um, again, it started with my story of rediscovering the story. you know, And I had experienced uh, such a powerful um, just renewal by rediscovering the liturgy and these practices that come with it. Um, you know, I had been doing my faith on my own. That's really kind of kind of like you said, it's kind of Gnostic. It's kind of like you and Jesus and you just go get in a corner and good luck with that. You know, like yeah. we'll see you next week. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so by discovering these practices, it had so enriched my own faith. And what I discovered was literally, um, you know, sometimes daily people would ask me about my journey, like, talk to me about your, you know, liturgy, um, talk to me about your journey. And so I began to, um, so I I teach at Asbury Seminary, I direct the church planning initiative. Um, you know, I began to interface with young adults on a more frequent, thoughtful basis, you know, that are studying in seminary that are taking this same journey. And you know I'm in my mid 40s and began to see millennials that were asking the same questions that were encountering liturgy sacrament and it was just rocking their world. So um, I began to just do a research project and begin to interview. So through this process, we did ethnographic research with hundreds of young adults across the U.S. cross denominational look at what is the liturgy and why does it matter? What's drawing young people to liturgy and why it matters for today? And so the reason I wrote the book, I wanted to tell the story to those that, uh, one, so many people when they first, again, that pattern of renewal, it starts with the dissatisfaction. Well, a lot of times they feel ashamed. They feel like, Am I denying my tradition? Because I'm drawn to liturgy does it mean I can't, I have to, get, I have to stop being a Baptist or I have to, you know, I can't be AG anymore or Pentecostal or whatever. And so, my, my hope is in the book is again, as you open this treasure chest, this stuff belongs to all of us. This isn't Catholic or Eastern Orthodox. It's not one particular tradition, but it's drawing from the great traditions of the church. You know, Packer said it this way that, you know, we can we should practice fellowship across the traditions because the Holy Spirit has been with all traditions throughout the church since the beginning of time. And it's kind of that same way. You don't have to deny your tradition to embrace the larger tradition but to find your place within the larger tradition. And so I think this can re- bring renewal to denominations, networks, individuals. So that's why I wrote the book, is one, to help people discover that they're not crazy if they're taking this journey. <laughs> you're, you're not denying Jesus. You're not denying your salvation experience or whatever your background is. And you're not crazy And that there are, again, I believe— uh, you know, throw my cards on the table. I think this is a spiritual renewal that God is actually leading people toward. I think there's a revival of a rediscovery of church tradition that's happening, where God is, by the Spirit, is calling Christians in North America. I think most Christians in North America, their experience of God is so shallow, um, and just in you know less than an inch deep. And the floodwaters of the acid rain of, mo- of modernity and secularism, the vast majority of Christians have no infrastructure to, to deal with the onslaught of what's happening in culture. And I think tradition, these are roots that have undergirded the majority of Christians throughout the history of the church. And we have access to that.
1: Yeah, isn't that just so so typical though of American culture? We tend to get really really ethnocentric and think that our culture is the only culture out there. Yeah. And so why wouldn't we do that with the the way that we approach church as well? I mean, if <laughs> if what we've got going on here in the last two hundred and eighty years in the in the church is in, in North America is the way that the church is done, then well, why should we go on to anything
0: else? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's why I love uh, your book, and so I just want to reiterate that for people listening. This is not a book that you will only read if you're Anglican or Lutheran or Catholic. Like, I love that aspect of it. It's a book for everybody yeah. who is just willing to explore what liturgy is and how it can help them in their discipleship walk every single day. You, you hit on a point that was interesting. When we think about liturgy, you said it's a spiritual renewal. But I, at least where I grew up, liturgy isn't looked at as the, the spiritual renewal. It's looked at as like the dry, boring stuff. It's death. So You're doing how the same thing liturgy, over and over like, again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> these habitual ways of worship that invite the community in. How do these things bring life?
2: Yeah, no, that's a good question. Again, there's the stereotype that, you know, freedom is, you know, just, you know, let's just be free. Let's just, you know, let the spirit just show up. You don't have to preach if you don't want to. If the spirit shows up, just cancel the service. You know, like um, there's the way I describe it is people are hungry for structure. Discipleship is formation. Discipleship's the habits that we do daily. That's what's wrong with the vast majority of Evangelical discipleship, it's anemic because there's no structure to it. And people are dying. They're hungry for um, not to be bound by structure. Liturgy is not a straight—the way I say it is liturgy is not a straight jacket, but it provides a structure to allow the wind of the Holy Spirit to blow into our services in in a way that's rooted, in a way that grounds us into the faith once delivered to the saints— we're not reinventing the faith. We're not, re, you know, the problem is we, you know, we feel like start a new church and re, let's reinvent a worship service that looks like the concert hall down the street. The, the world does, young people don't want more of the world. You know, we're trying to make our churches look and, you know, feel like Disney World or the latest big, whatever the latest kind of music craze is. And I think, I think people are hungry for substance, authenticity, and they're looking for Something that they can use, a structure, a format, and so that's again, this isn't binding, um, but it gives us. It's kind of like if you think of driving a car, you need red lights, you need lanes, you need you know, you need the um, stop signs. There's structure that actually keeps your car on track. If you want to go to the grocery store, if you want to drive to the airport, there there are structures in place. Well this is, this is the, a law of nature, like there, God is a God of order. Why do we think that when it comes to church and church service that we throw all of that to the wind and say, no, God's a God of disorder, God's a God of chaos? I, you know, I've, I've come to see that, no, the, the Spirit moves through tradition and moves through structure. And again, I, I kind of define it as, one of the things that was lacking for me was I had an encounter with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. um, And I I had, you know, I had the happy, clappy stuff. But what happens when you don't feel good? What happens when you don't feel like praying? What what happens when you don't have words to articulate anymore? Well, these written, beautiful prayers of the church carry our prayers at times. They give language when we don't have language. And the way I, I describe to my charismatic friends is that um, the it, it's kind of like you, you can have this experience of the Holy Spirit, but there's only so far you can go with the happy, clappy kind of worship service. And the draw to liturgy is there's a contemplative, deeper dimension of the person and work of the Holy Spirit that God wants to take us to that you just can't get with kind of the very informal, loose, hyper excitable service. Does that make sense? No, it does.
0: And the irony is, is that no matter, maybe barring the early days of the Pentecostal charismatic movement, but uh, after, like you said, after sort of the new thing dies down, these structures emerge in our churches already. Like we put them in place. And so what I hear you saying is that we just need to be a lot more intentional about the structures that we put in place. One of the things that you mentioned earlier is we can have such thing as uh, as bad liturgy. (laughs) So
2: what are some of the bad liturgies (laughs) you're talking about or some of the
0: misconceptions around liturgy that you would like to see corrected?
2: Yeah, I think one of the things I try to do in the book as well is to offer a framework for pastors, church planters that are looking at saying, hey, we want to embrace liturgy. How do we do it in a way that's—this isn't the cool, new, shiny toy. Let me say that. Um, I'm not advocating church growth through liturgy. It it actually won't grow your church, but it'll probably grow your people. You know, um, but in fact, there are I could I could name probably just a handful of churches that are growing through real deep liturgical discipleship. Um, and so there's in the historic structure, and I get into this in my chapter on what is liturgy. Uh, I look at the fourfold structure of liturgical worship. There's gathering, and our modern worship services echo. It's kind of like, you know, Lord of the Rings. You have the rings lost, you know, to memory, and you know, there's there's a lot of things that happen in contemporary worship that echoes. Um, elements. And sometimes we fumble toward it. You know, like I've seen churches like, Hey, we're going to have communion on a table. Just come and grab a piece of bread and, you know, get it on the go. Or we're going to light a candle over, you know, people want to be sacramental. There's a <laughs> longing to like, it's like food. fast food communion. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> like, man, no, don't never do that. And so, um, so the fourfold structure is there's a gather. We come together and we gather, we, we, we gather in a corporate worship where there's a call to worship then the second part of the liturgy is—it's called the hearing, or you know, where there's scriptures being read, there's a sermon that's happening, and then that prepares us for the communion table. Um, and so what happens is in the historic worship, after the sermon, there's a confession of sin, and I tell you know non-liturgical, like why wouldn't you want to offer a time in the service? This is an altar call. Why would you not offer a corporate confession of sin where everyone in that service, whether they're new believers, old believers, people need an opportunity to confess their sins. And then after that, there's a reminder that your sins are forgiven if you've honestly confessed your sin. Then they recite the creed, the Apostles' Creed. This is an affirmation of our faith. We're affirming what Christians have always believed the next part of the service moves to the Lord's table. And so in liturgical churches, we say, this is the altar call, right? So we invite people to actually come receive the, the Lord's Supper. Usually after that, there are prayer stations. Uh, I've, I've seen just beautiful uh, encounters with the Lord as people come forward to receive the Lord's Supper. And, um, and then there's what I love is, A liturgical service closes with a sending out, the benediction. Go, you are sent on mission. In the words of uh, the the Latin phrase Misa, which we've all heard the Latin mass, um, comes from the ancient term Misa, which, you know, if you studied Ed Stetzer or any missiology, uh, missio refers to being sent. So the ancient words of the liturgy ended with the words of the priest saying, "Go, you are sent on mission. Go, you are sent." So we've we've worshipped, we've heard the word of God, we've fed at God's table, and then we are sent out on mission. That's a that'll preach, <laughs> like, and, and you can contextualize that. That's that's the thing is like this isn't about. Um, yeah, you know, there are different traditions that have specific words and prayers, you can take these and adapt them in a way that's faithful and provides substance to your service.
0: Yeah, so you answered a question. I was going to ask, like, why do you think Gen X and millennials, these young people that you refer to in the book, are so drawn to liturgy? But I think you just answered the question, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's at least what draws me as a millennial into that, is it's like, man, that gives a real purpose. It answers that why question of why should I wake up in the morning, on my day off, and go to church? Like, what's the yeah. purpose? And that's really the purpose is, is, is right there. When you create this liturgical uh, rhythm around what we're doing, it, it gives us purpose and fills us with meaning and reminds us of the story of why we're there. And, and through that activity, we're formed by it. We are—it like it, it gives just a, such a clear path as to what following Jesus in that gathering— Is really about,
1: and we kind of alluded to it earlier. I mean, if you've got this abstract idea that's uh, very out there when it comes to how you practice your your Christian faith, if you see everybody else doing the same things that you're doing, it creates the sense of community that says that you belong you you belong to this community that that is all moving toward the same goal. We have the same purpose. We have the same mindset, and so. I think a lot of millennials and Gen uh, Z uh, people are looking for a way to belong. Honestly, that's, that's part of why the um, LGB- LGBTQ community is, is taking off the way it is. They're looking for a place to belong and, and have a sense of identity. And li- yeah. I think liturgy is providing that for, for some of the younger Christians.
0: Discipleship is formation. The habits and structures of our day and worship services act as guides for becoming more like Christ. If we are intentional about the structures we put into place, then we can create a lifestyle that naturally leads to following Jesus. Liturgy can offer us the substance and structure we are looking for, where the world cannot. Liturgy can bring a new depth to discipleship by creating a real connection between us and God. This, in turn, connects us more deeply to the church, both past and present. The worship of the ancient churches becomes part of us. No matter what theology they may have held or social issues they may have faced, we are united with them in love to worship our Lord. So if you haven't considered liturgy, or if you've had misconceptions about it, look at the routines of your daily life and of your church's worship service for the liturgies you practice. And then ask yourself, how could I be more intentional about structuring them to create a more meaningful connection to Christ?
1: How can you create a lifestyle of discipleship? Most Christians think discipleship is a program or a few practices thrown in at the beginning or end of the day. and the Daily Growth Journal will help you do just that. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. To find out more about Winfield and his work, Check out WinfieldBevins.com. Then check out the next chapter in our conversation, where Winfield unpacks why liturgy appeals to the younger generation today. If you want to stay up to date on everything happening at Daily Growth Discipleship, go to DailyGrowthDiscipleship.com and subscribe for free. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify.